in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey everybody, this is another episode of the Oil and Gas HSE Podcast where we're dedicated to protecting ourselves and the environment so that everyone goes home safe every day. I'm your host, Russell Stewart. You can reach out to me by sending an email, which we'll post in the show notes. Follow us on LinkedIn. We'll post that in the show notes as well. We're still hanging out at the uh, HSE for Unconventional Oil and Gas 2019 conference here in San Antonio, Texas, produced by Marcus Evans Conferences. And at this time, I'm joined by uh, one of the presenters who will uh, actually be presenting later this afternoon, uh, Mr. Ronnie Roberts. Uh, Ronnie's with Antero Resources, and he is uh, Antero Resources Director of Health and Safety. Hi, Ronnie. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Russell. Well, I, we're glad that you, you took the time because uh, your topic this afternoon is, well, I guess uh, it fits with this uh, concept of being unconventional. Yes, absolutely. It's entitled Strengthening Incident Management to Prevent Future Occurrences by Adapting Approaches. Yeah, what that truly means, Russell, is just preparing companies to respond to significant uh, events they could have, such as pipeline explosions. It could be something as simple as a fire in a building where it shuts down occupants of the building going into that location. Got a lot of background in this. I'm, I'm little, I've been in the business for 35 years, emergency response, and working as a safety director for a company. It was really important for me to come out of the fire service. I did a little bit of both. Every fireman has a day off job, so I owned a couple of companies. One of them was a safety company, and really just training people on how to respond to not only OSHA events, but also emergencies such as fires, explosions, and things of that nature. So unfortunately, I was very involved in the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, devastating event that created 168 life of loss and, of course, 19 children. As part of that response, I was at a firehouse about five blocks away from that event. Oh, wow. And unfortunately, we were first in, so we found a lot of the kids. So you were an Oklahoma City Oklahoma firefighter? Oklahoma City firefighter, yes. I uh, worked as a lieutenant on the hazmat unit there for Oklahoma City. And through that process, it really changed my mindset about preparing for emergencies. I, you know, prior to that, I probably spent 11 years uh, training companies on large-scale events, but never at a national or international level, in particular national level, for the bombing. So, you know, as much as we prepared at Oklahoma City Firefighter with men and women that were just very well prepared, nobody could prepare you for that, right? The devastation of the children and the the bodies, human bodies, and the smells that you had during that event. Not only that, you had roughly 37 fire departments coming to one location. You had you know, over 1,800 responders on location within basically three to five minutes of the event. And so that really changed my whole attitude and perspective on, on truly what incident command and incident management truly means to not only emergency responders, but to companies as well, oil and gas companies. So Today's speech is really just about the, the road roadmap, if you will, for companies to be able to understand 
what it takes to truly respond to emergencies from both sides. So I give it a unique twist because I understand companies well and understand emergency responders and just linking those two together and speaking the same language, setting up emergency response plans to where they make sense and then set them up into the management team so people can respond and talk the same language. So if I go to you and you work for the fire department and I say I'm a pumper or I'm a superintendent, you don't really know what that means, but if you say I'm an incident commander or a communications section chief or operational division chief or something of that nature, that's what it's really all about. It's getting the same language so we know how people will perform and what their roles and responsibilities are on location. So, uh, but that's really, we just talk about business continuity programs. We talk about emergency response planning and we talk about incident management as a whole. And so we use a lot of tools and devices to get to that point. You know, probably uh, what you'll see with most events is a lack of communication. So on, the, on April 19th, unfortunately, when that event occurred, you know, who thought, would have thought we were dealing with 37 fire departments. We all had different radio systems. We couldn't talk. We couldn't even talk to our own police department at the time. The fire department yeah. couldn't could talk to, talk to the, the police department? Oklahoma City Police Department because we didn't have the same radio frequencies. So it really changed. I, in my mind, it changed response even up to 9-11. Uh, unfortunately, many of those men and women that responded to Oklahoma City bombing were actually in the building when it collapsed in New York City. Great friends of ours from Oklahoma City as well. But it truly enlightened us on how big communication really is. In, in that arena and, and really being able to speak to uh, just w whether it's a health department agency, a police department or fire department, you know, communications becomes a really, really big process in, in there. So planning, planning and communications, I would say, are some of the key topics. And, you know, what we saw on April 19th in 1995, unfortunately, was we had, you know, a lot of issues around planning and accountability for that large scale of an event. Of course, it was the largest national terrorism event well sure in the u.s but so. but let's take a what we would all consider a, a, a normal oil and gas operation how do you coordinate how do you put the first responders together with with the company what's the logistics on that yeah it's a great great comment and thank you for tying it in my next part of the speech okay. would really be about going in and training oil staff oil, oil and gas staff to be able to understand what incident management means. So in, in 2004, the president signed a directive and said basically that all oil and gas and all private sectors, uh, especially energy corridors, will, will be able to speak the same language as the emergency responders. So they, he put in a system called the National Incident Management System. In short, it's called NIMS. And NIMS was set up to actually have people understand what it takes to respond to an emergency. So the things like accountability, you know, lack of communication, planning process, all those things, overloaded staff. So, you know, we we immediately started going out. And so 13 years later, I started working for a company in Oklahoma City, and they had gone through a couple of devastating hurricanes, Rita and Katrina. And the executives of that company said, you know what, we need to get on board with this NIMS process and the incident management process. So fortunately, I was at a point where I could retire from the fire department after 24 years and go to work and actually train these people on what it means to respond to emergencies. So we actually set up nine incident management teams across many locations. We were international, so we were in Brazil. 
Chile, many other locations. So we went to all these locations. Now, this is an oil and gas operation? It is an oil and gas that, operation. Not the one you're with? Not That's the not one the one I'm with then. currently, no. But it, the company was international, so it added a lot of complexity to the incident management system because NIM sure. was really developed for the U.S. But we used the same system throughout, whether I was offshore in the Gulf or whether we were in Brazil offshore or even in Oklahoma City. Uh, it didn't matter where you were at. The, the incident management system has been around since 1970. And so it's a proven tried way to really address the issues around emergency response and, and getting people on the same page. So basically, we went out and set up these teams as incident commanders, and we call it command staff and general staff. That's the terminology used, but it's just different positions. So when the fire department responds and you say, I'm the incident commander, you know that's the guy in charge, and you know that's the guy that you want to get the information from. So do you find oil and gas companies, are they using this NIMS program, or is that? It's really what today's all about. It's just building more awareness around the program. So in 2007, this company hired me to come in. We set up all our incident command teams. And then, unfortunately, Hurricane Ikit, if you remember September 13th sure, in 2008, sure. the company I was working for downtown had a about a 50-story building, around 1,800 people that were misplaced throughout. Their houses were affected. Their personal lives were affected. And so we incorporated those six incident management teams in that area. And, and through we also had midstream operations as well. So keeping pipelines running, keeping you know oil and gas production was very critical to us. And we'd all prepared for that with those teams. And it was a very coordinated approach. And I think at the end of the day, we figured out we saved over $98 million with this emergency response system by organizing and, and having meetings twice a day with the incident command teams and really a very structured approach in how we manage the business after that event. You know, it took several weeks to get into the building downtown. You can only imagine with uh, 1,800 people and then we had some 2,000 plus contractors in the area that were all affected by this event. Really just trying to, you know, and the big piece of all this was accountability. So we we used mass notification tools. So we, we used a called SendWord Now. And we had actually sent out messaging saying, are you okay? And, and truly through that process, we reached out to 96% of our employees and they all answered they were okay. You know, and some of them needed help. So we had that option in the tool to say, you know, press two if you need help. And then we'd find out what we would use for that. And we set up a humanitarian response branch to be able to handle things like generators, get people fuel, get people food. And the whole process just really shined through that 2008 event. And it made me that much more of a believer about how companies should really, it doesn't necessarily have to be an oil and gas company, all companies should be sure. aware of how they're going to operate if they're, you know, have an event like this. So, so it was pretty exciting. It was, um, you know, for me, it just helped me believe in the program, the NIMS program, and, and be able to see all that come to fruition during Hurricane Ike was just amazing. So, yeah, pretty exciting. Now, you don't have your own separate company now? You work directly no, I, for I'm 100% Intero, for so, 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 so nobody can hire you as a consultant to help <laughs> no, them with I'm, the NIMS program? I'm off, or, off, yeah, I'm off the market, but I'm more than willing to share 
all the concepts. And that's really why I'm here today is to talk about the concept of operations for incident command and, and really share all the different tools like alternate work locations, you know, looking at various ways to set up a command post, whether it's in your, in your office location or if it's in a pickup truck with a little sign on the front of the hood that says incident command. You know, that, that truly is what I'm here today is just kind of build the awareness around the different programs so companies can respond effectively to these t- types of events. So, and do you put this together like you put together a safety manual or? Yeah, it really is. As I mentioned early on, business continuity is really the term we use quite a bit of. And, and so it's a lot more than just just responding to an event, right? It's more about an incident life cycle. So you go through the event, you assess how bad it is, and then you respond in an incident management format. But through all that, even after the response, now you have business resumption, you have uh, certain systems that might be down, like disaster recovery is what they, we call that. And, and so that's used to understand, you know, if a company used like SCADA systems to, ma- to manage their gas output or, or any type of liquids output, you know, if that, if that particular system goes down, then you shut down the whole company basically. So really understanding disaster recovery on the backside and business resumption, you know, if it, you know, I guess the question would be to a company, what happens today if you lose your office for three weeks and you can't get access to computers and can't get access to your systems? What happens to your company? And, you know, most of the figures I've seen, uh, companies will normally fail with around 55% of all companies, if they don't have some type of business continuity or incident management approach, will fail within five years. And that number's actually probably gone up since that time. And that was back in 2009. Yeah, I would think that uh, that's the first thing that, or or one of the things that, that everybody fails to do is to ask the right questions, all these what if questions. You know, it's amazing how many incidents occur and somebody says well i never thought this could happen right and that's the biggest failure i think for most companies it's not going to happen to me and it's just like me when i'm sitting at that firehouse at nine o'clock in the morning what i have ever thought we blew up a building in in the u.s where 168 people were devastated and you pull up on this and it's really just you and four guys in a truck company, you know, putting an aerial truck into this building trying to rescue people. So, you know, I'm not. Did you guys know what had happened? We or? had no idea. You know, we truly, uh, being a hazmat guy, we immediately start thinking about explosions from a boiler, explosions from a, a diesel tank or gas tank down the base of the building. But it became very relevant when we pulled into that, that building that the, the type of damage the building had something had to affect it on the top of the service, not below surface. So immediately, you know, and and unfortunately, three to four minutes into that event, the the building was actually approached because it's where all our federal agencies were, right? The ATF folks were in there. And it truly, you know, was 100% going after the Waco event and some of those. So that was Timothy McVeigh's initiative was to destroy, you know, some of our federal government officials. And, you know, unfortunately, the guy knew that we had a a daycare in there. The guy knew that he'd walked that building prior to the event. So, you know, it's very unfortunate that we have people like that in the world. Oh, yeah. But we do. It really is. And, you know, being a firefighter for that long, I've run on bad people for a long time, and I know they're out there. So, you know, I think it's all those things 
to get your company back up and running and knowing that things can happen and just thinking outside the box of the types of events. And you know, this system works for a wedding. You can use this for a wedding. <laughs> so it's pretty <laughs> unique. Uh, you know, you can use it for anything from financial crisis to an attack on your IT systems to whatever. And that's, it's a, it's an all incident system. So, but NIMS has been proven time and time again throughout the years. And, you know, like I said, 1970s, it was started in the wildland fire where firefighters from different cities couldn't talk to each other. And unfortunately, some of those people lost their lives uh, because they were pushing fires a certain way. So the, the instant command system has been around. It's proven itself time and time again. And, and if you look at the homeland security, which really drives a lot of our national response now, they're, they're 100% focused on instant command systems and how they interact with the private sector. Okay, that's good. So if uh, somebody wanted to get in touch with you, get a little more information, uh, they could uh, maybe send you an email? Certainly send me an email. You guys feel free to do so. I'd be more than happy to share information. You know, somebody's looking for a new career. Maybe I'm a new safety professional. Maybe you ought to consider business continuity and emergency management because it's truly, we see tons and tons of safety professionals in the business and environmental professionals, but we don't have a lot of people specialized in emergency management, business continuity. And so I think to me, it's a big niche in the, in the future of companies to, to really have the department. So the company, you know, when I worked in business continuity, we had 16 people in that department. So it was a really large department. And thank goodness we did it that quickly because we wouldn't have been prepared for Hurricane Ike when it hit Sure, hit that particular company. So. Well, we'll post your uh, email in the show notes. It's uh, roberts at com. I want to go back to your uh, to your fireman days. And, and it, it's kind of along the lines of, of what we were talking about, things happening and people saying, oh, I never, you know, I never thought, you know, I never thought the to think about what would what we would do if, if this happened. But do you find that that kind of attitude toward just, I mean, just all us regular homeowners and everything as it relates to fire and fire safety and like, oh, you know, I'll never have a fire and can never happen to me. And, and, and so people don't, uh, you know, they don't pay attention to keeping the uh, batteries up to date and their smoke alarms and, and, and stuff like that and just see a lot of a lot of complacency and not really, you know, every house really ought to have its own NIM system in case of a fire, right? No, that's really a great point, and I hate to kind of tell on myself a little bit, but we've been known to have a few tornadoes roll through Oklahoma. And yeah. I, I was one of those foolish guys that liked to chase the tornadoes. But uh, I remember a gentleman by the name of Gary England. He was a 30-year uh, news anchor man in the weather. And he, he told me one day, it was May 3rd, 1999, uh, on the TV, I heard him say, you will not survive this one above ground. And it was something that like slapped me in the face and said, I'm not chasing this one. I'm going to shelter. That saved my life, actually, that day. The, the tornado actually rolled through Midwest City, Oklahoma, where I was living at the time, took the whole front of my house off, flattened my whole neighborhood. So, you know, being a firefighter, thinking of safety and things of that nature, I'd even ordered a pizza right before I heard that on TV. And I just I went straight to the shelter and did the right thing. Thank goodness. And, you know, so I think it's, 
you know, those types of warnings and heeding those warnings are very important. I just live in Denver. I went through a bomb cyclone. I had no idea what a bomb cyclone was, but I knew I needed to hunker down because we were fixing to have 90 mile an hour winds with a, a blizzard of about 15 inches of snow. But, you know, those things, you, you need to heed the warnings. And as I'm getting older, I'm understanding a little bit better how prominent these warnings are and how I really need to pay attention to those a little bit closer. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all we all need to we all need to pay pay close attention. So you were a firefighter for 24 years then and kind of had your own little consulting company. So how long have you been in the oil and gas industry? I started uh, started a company back in 93. I've, I've been in the oil and gas business roughly since 1984. I was oh, okay. I worked for a company out of Edmond, Oklahoma where we uh, responded to oil and gas emergencies quite a bit and also did a lot of consulting on uh, emergency planning, safety consulting and environmental. And so in that time, I did a little work with DEA and uh, did drug labs in Oklahoma. So, oh, really? <laughs> I only say this as a joke. We were number one in football and number one in meth labs there for a couple of years. So <laughs> I don't think there's any correlation. <laughs> Just kidding, Oklahoma. But uh, no, it truly was uh, quite an experience. Learned a lot through that, uh, working for DEA as well in that process as a private contractor with the company. So I uh, learned a lot and went through a lot of different scenarios, but it allowed me a lot of flexibility, not only to gain experience in the environmental side of the business, but also on the safety side. So, But I started basically working with oil and gas in the mid-80s. So with all that time and experience in oil and gas, other than, you know, obviously the Oklahoma City bombing thing, is there something that stands out in your mind over the years? Oh, I just, I think there's, uh, you know, working in the fire service, you see so much. And, you know, although I've made a couple little comments about how bad people are in this world, I think there's there's really amazing people in this world. I don't ever want to oversight that. Truly, in the Oklahoma City bombing, for example, if we ask for a generator, you have 20 generators sitting by the fence. And people are just amazing to me, the humanitism of everybody in the U.S. And you know, so we see a lot of the political uproar right now, but... You know, keep keep the faith. There's a ton of great people in this world, and you know, just uh, understand as a fireman, if you work in in law enforcement, things like that. Although we see a lot of bad, we see a lot of great things in people, and it truly is, a, you know, amazing to grow up in Oklahoma where we had so many good people. So I once heard a great psychologist dealing with these kinds of people, like you're talking about the the Timothy McVeighs of this world, and uh, of course, every time. Something like that happens. Everybody's well. We ought to do this, or we ought to do that, or we ought to get rid of this, or we ought to get rid of that. You know, and you know, I mean, you know, I don't know. I won't get into to all those things. But but this psychologist's answer was, he said, you need to look for the good in people. Yeah, and I you'll you'll agree. see you'll see you'll see more good than 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 you do the evil, and that's that's really that's really how you how you deal with it. So. Yeah. Okay, so we're getting down close to the end here. Have you got a good safety tip of the week for us? Well, I think it's exactly that, what I mentioned earlier about the bomb cyclone and the tornado warnings. And, you know, I think if I wouldn't heed those warnings, I would have uh, either either been not alive today or I would have been seriously harmed in these situations. But, uh, you know, I think uh, 
whether it's a weather event, whether it's a fire event, or whether there are explosions, you know, we, people need to understand that there is some significant uh, exposure potential to a lot of those events, and truly need to heed the warnings when people give that. And I, you know, it sounds horrible because I know early in my life when I was a youngster, I, I used to love to chase tornadoes and do all that crazy stuff. But there's a reason people tell you not to do that. And, you know, unfortunately, we've seen fatalities associated with people chasing tornadoes the last couple of years in Oklahoma. And so my, my, my advice to people is one is just it, heed the warnings and, and understand that it can happen to you. And I've been in a lot of situations in my life where I didn't think it could happen, but it did. And, and so being able to respond to that, have a plan, really understand what your plan is, and then implement that plan when something goes south on you. And uh, I think that's really, really important for people to understand. Well, I think that's great advice. I found this to be a very interesting conversation, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to uh, sit down and, and talk to us yeah. about this. And uh, like I said, we'll uh, we'll post your uh, contact information in our show notes. And and uh, good luck on your on your presentation. Yeah, thanks so much. Have a good day. Appreciate right. your time as well. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. So, Ronnie, what's the funniest thing you've ever seen in this business? Well, I was kind of talking with you earlier, but it was really kind of the funniest thing I ever did, too. I was uh, responding to the largest fire we had in Oklahoma. It's called the Tinker Air Force Base. It was about a mile-long fire, and I'd only been on the fire department for about one week. Didn't know a lot, but I was trying to impress the guys, thinking I you know, I was in great shape and was going to be able to have a good hand. As I pulled out of the chief's car, rode over to the, over to the fire with the chief's car, I put my air pack on upside down and ran up the hill, and I got laughed at pretty uh, routinely, and and pretty much had a nickname for a long time oh to get past that event. But uh, yeah, all the training I did that fat week, I forgot how to learn how to put an air air pack on. So, well, what you don't want to do is put uh, your H two S mask on backwards right? that's exactly right i've seen that happen quite a few times and you know unfortunately with rookies in the fire service we used to have a lot of fun with those guys and see them fell on purpose just to, to have a little bit of fun with it but i those are probably some of the funnier times in my life just seeing people do something so crazy it's like how could that happen so <laughs> and that's the thing about safety you've exactly. got to you've got to be able to envision that that can happen and you need to be careful yeah thanks ryan thank you